0: Hey everyone, welcome to episode 3 of The Highlights. Just a little heads up before we play this week's episode. After our theme music plays for the second time, there will be a short discussion about a research method involving mosquitoes. If that's not your cup of tea, skip ahead about one minute. We hope you enjoyed this episode, we had a lot of fun making it. Hi everyone, my name is Thiago, I'm a graduate student at Princeton University and I'm your host. The Highlights is a sister podcast to Princeton Insights in collaboration with The Daily Princetonian. Insights is a newsletter written by Princeton undergrad, grad students, and postdocs. We write about the most exciting and groundbreaking research being conducted here at Princeton, in the form of short, fun, easy-to-read reviews. We cover a range of topics including psychology, neuroscience, biology, computer science, and physics, to name a few. Make sure to check out our website at insights.princeton.edu. Right now, I'll have the pleasure to receive my fellow graduate student, Olivia Duty as a co-host.
1: Say hi, Olivia. Hi, everyone. I'm so excited to co-host this episode of The Highlights with Tiago. I recently wrote a review for Princeton Insights about the paper we're discussing today, written by graduate student Jules Zhao and others from the McBride Lab. Before we hear from Juleh, Tiago will introduce him to you.
0: Thank you, Olivia. Jules is currently a sixth-year graduate student in the McBride Lab but also pursuing a joint graduate degree in neuroscience. He grew up in southwest China and went to college at Peking University in Beijing, majoring in life sciences. His research focuses on the intersection of neurobiology and evolution. Outside the lab, he enjoys jogging and reading about histories. Thanks for coming, Zilei. It's such a pleasure to have you here. Thank
2: you for the introduction.
1: So let's start off a little bit hearing more about you. So can you describe your journey to becoming a grad student here at Princeton?
2: I think it's pretty straightforward. I major in biology, life sciences in college. I've been always interested in science, and especially for biology, because I realized there are so many interesting and unanswered questions in biology. But in college, we study, like the major is very broad, we study a lot of different stuff. And... My interest at that time is most on evolutionary biology, also a little bit on neuroscience. So I took one year gap in the same research lab where I did my thesis work. Then after the gap year, I applied for graduate school. And I think Princeton is my best choice because my advisor, Lindy McBride, she, she's doing both evolutionary biology and neuroscience, like the intersection of those two fields. So that's really ideal for me.
0: Nice. That was very useful then. <laughs> so since you're now a graduate student, what are the best and worst parts of being a graduate student for you?
2: The best part is I feel like the freedom, especially in our lab, like the both intellectual and also financial. Because intellectual means my advice on in India really encourage us to explore different frontiers, even when those frontiers are kind of risky, like maybe just too ambitious. So we can really explore those frontiers so we can dive into the unanswered questions. Like uh, if you read our paper, we develop a lot of new methods. And those new methods really take time to develop. And without the intellectual and financial freedom, I feel like it's not possible to do that.
0: What about the worst part?
2: The worst part, I feel like sometimes I just get too focused on the research. Like you keep thinking about it, right? Even after work, like when you are trying to sleep, you're still trying to figure out the, the problem, you're trying to troubleshoot, I feel like this the worst part.
1: I absolutely understand that. It's hard to step uh-huh. away and, you know, take a step back and go home and not be still thinking about work. And so how has your work life changed during COVID? You know, being in a hands-on type of research, uh, I imagine things have been different for this past year.
2: I'm lucky because most of the lab work were done before the COVID. So during COVID, i was focused on analysis and also writing the paper, but we are still doing a little bit of experiments, but the efficiency like, is much lower than what was before. But after the vaccine, I feel it's better because right now we can really do, do more experiments.
0: Cool. That's great. Yeah, I'm glad that it, was not, it didn't have too much of a negative impact. So let's get into your research. Aedes aegypti is a species of mosquito common to Brazil. So that's something that is very interesting to me to learn more about because I'm Brazilian. So I would like to know from you, why did you choose this mosquito for your study?
2: Okay, so let me first ask you one question. Yeah. In your opinion, what's the most dangerous animal in the world?
0: Well, I read your paper, so (laughs) (laughs) should I answer from what I saw in your paper or what I might guess?
2: Yeah, I feel like for most people, they won't think about mosquitoes because they're just tiny insects. But the real numbers, the statistics are very striking because nearly 1 million people die because of a mosquito-borne disease every year. It's just a crazy number in the modern society. So part of the reason is there are some species of mosquitoes that really just target humans. For example, species with study gpt It's called the yellow fever mosquito or dengue mosquito because they transmit transmit yellow fever, dengue, and recently Zika. So it's a very dangerous mosquito. And this species is interesting because it's originated in Africa, but in Africa, we those those mosquitoes they bite not only humans, they also bite animals. But with global trade in the last one thousand five hundred years, the mosquito gets spread over the world in the tropical and subtropical regions. But outside Africa, those mosquitoes really target humans. So imagine if you are walking your dog, those mosquitoes will just target you instead of your dogs. That's why they are just so dangerous. So we are very interested in why they can do this. They can distinguish human from animal.
1: So is this, for this specific mosquito, is this fairly rare for it to prefer humans?
2: So most mosquitoes are generalists. there are over 3,000 species of mosquitoes. Only four or five are human specialists.
1: So, kind of getting into your paper now, what exactly is it about us that makes us a desirable target for the mosquito?
2: Yeah, so that's the central question we want to answer in this paper because from previous research, we know mosquitoes they really rely on affection, the sense of smell to detect the hosts. So, we decided to look at the olfactory system of ADGPT. The way we do it is through neural imaging. So, the idea is if we can image the neural response of this mosquito when we present the order of human and animal. And if we can compare the neural response, we might be able to understand why we really like human order.
1: And so when you first started this study, uh, was there a lot already known about how mosquitoes smell or is it sort of a big mystery?
2: Uh, it's still a big mystery because the mosquito is not a traditional model species. For example, like in Drosophila, we know a lot of the olfactory system, system of Drosophila, the fruit flies. But in mosquitoes, we know very little because we don't have the genetic tools to study mosquitoes.
0: That's interesting. And do, do you expect them to be very different, like drosophilas and mosquitoes?
2: So after we began to look at the olfactory system, we realized it's not so different. Like The basic architecture is is the same, it's conserved, just like the receptor the express may be different. So they are sensitive to different different orderings, But the basic architecture is the same.
0: I see. Well, I'm glad. <laughs> uh, so, going to the methods then from your papers. One thing that is kind of funny when reading your paper and looking at the first figure, it looks like there are people putting their hands on a mosquito cage. So do people have to actually sacrifice themselves to test the mosquito preference? How does that work?
2: So in that essay, the mosquitoes, they can smell the odor of the arm, but they cannot reach the hand because it is a screen. So they will try to pinch through the screen. But in a different essay, like when we need to blood feed mosquitoes, like if we want to produce the next generation, we need to blood feed the mosquito, the females. So we usually use our arm. Like, for example, there's a one cage of 500 mosquitoes. Females, they are very eager to bite you. Then we just insert our arm into the cage. Then all the mosquitoes will bite you for the blood.
0: Like your your own arm. My own the arm. experimenter's yeah. arm? Yeah. Isn't there? Is that really uncomfortable? In the <laughs> beginning,
2: like when I first joined that, it's maybe scary because after the after the feeding, you see a lot of sweating, right? On your skin. But right now, I don't feel anything like it doesn't really age, doesn't really hurt. Like the immune system cannot adapt to the mosquito bite.
0: Wow.
1: Wow. That's crazy.
0: You're literally sacrificing yourself to the most dangerous animal of the earth. (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
1: how, How often do you have to do that?
2: It depends. Like, for example, if you have three strains, you might need to do it once every two months because we usually breed the mosquito every six months. Every six months, we need to produce a next generation.
1: Very fun. Very cool. All right. So now getting back to the specifics of your work and focusing on you know, how mosquitoes smell, and what's going on in their brains. And you talked a little bit about how the genetic tools are very limited for mosquitoes. But I know from your work that you are able to engineer some mosquitoes to allow you to visualize what's going on in their brains. Can you talk a little bit about how that worked and how you did that?
2: Yes, so one of the limits are working on mosquitoes is the uh, lake of the genetic tools. And we are, we are lucky because, I, I don't know if you heard of the technology CRISPR-Cas9, it's a genome editing technology. So before you cannot really do transgenic mosquitoes easily, but with the CRISPR-Cas9, it enables us to do a very complex genetic manipulation in mosquitoes. So one of the ideas is, for example, if we want to do neuroimaging, we need a reporter. It's called GCAM because this protein is sensitive to the calcium concentration. And when neurons are active, the calcium concentration will increase in the neurons, and the fluorescence will increase. That's how we read out the neural activity. But in order to do that in mosquitoes, we need to put the GCAM into the mosquito genome, and we use CRISPR Cas9 for that. So what we do is we inject CRISPR Cas9 protein along with the GCAM and another RNA into the embryos, into the egg of mosquito. And a very small percentage of egg will have the gene integrated into the mosquito genome.
1: Very cool. And so when you, you know hit the mosquitoes with all of these different odors, you can just look at fluorescence in the brain or the parts of the brain to see exactly mapping or map what's exactly going on.
2: Yes, yes, exactly.
1: Very cool.
0: And are they alive while you see this happening?
2: Yes, they are alive. So what we do is we have a mosquito holder. In the holder, there's a very small hole, the size of a mosquito head. <laughs> wow. So what we do is we push the head of a mosquito into a small hole and use some glue to fix the head so the head is not moving. But the body is moving, like the mosquito is trying to escape, like flapping the wings kicking the legs. so then we open the cuticle, basically the skin of the head, then expose the olfactory region of the brain, then do the imaging.
0: I imagine it must be very hard to, like, focus on such a small head. Yes,
2: you really need practice, yeah.
0: Could you tell us about a time when something went wrong in these experiments? Like, what was the most difficult part about working with mosquitoes?
2: Yeah, I feel like the most difficult part actually is not on the mosquito, it's on the order delivery, because you can imagine what we want to do is to deliver the real order of a human and an animal. But the thing is the order of us or animal is very complex. People think there are hundreds of compounds in our smell, and how to deliver the natural order of the human or animal is actually very challenging. We spend a lot of time Mm -hmm. to do that. Traditionally, what people do is most people in affecting they focus on very simple stimuli, like, for example, just one compound. I see. So what they can do is they dilute the compound in the solvent, then put the solution in a vial, a glass vial, then they can pop the odor to the insect. But for us, we cannot put a human in the vial <laughs> or anything like an animal in the vial. So we cannot do that. We need to develop new methods.
0: Unless it's the own experimenter, then yeah. it's fine. <laughs> <laughs>
1: All right, so we want to now get into the findings of your work. And so, what's, what's the answer here? What distinguishes humans from other animals in terms of smell?
2: What we found based on both neuroimaging and analysis on the odor profiles is we think the non-chain aldehydes are very important. So, this is interesting because both humans and animals have aldehydes. Aldehydes are just the major components in the vertebrate odor, but what's different between humans and animals is we have different aldehydes. Humans have more of the non-chain aldehydes, but animals have the short-chain aldehydes. What we found is this region in mosquito brain is only sensitive to the non-chain aldehydes, but not to the short-chain aldehydes. So when we puff the odor of humans and animals, we only see activation with human order, but not animal order.
0: That's cool. So the specific molecules that would set us apart would be like this aldehydes. How did you figure that specific part out that these are the molecules?
2: Yeah. So what we do is we first did the imaging to the complex human order and animal order. And we saw this unique region of the mosquito brain that's sensitive, only sensitive to human. And later we focus on that region. What we did is we puff the single components. Each component individually to the mosquito and record your activity and trying to find out which molecule, which compound activates this region. What we found is it's a non chain aldehyde.
1: And so, thinking again more broadly, you're studying one specific mosquito, but do you think what you've discovered about how this mosquito smells is applicable to all mosquitoes or even beyond mosquitoes like Drosophila or fruit flies?
2: Yeah. I think it might be applicable to the other mosquitoes, for example, the malaria mosquito. Those are different kind of mosquitoes, but they are also specialists on humans. And what we found last year, there is an interesting paper on malaria mosquitoes. What they study is a very different system. They are trying to find a, a blend that attracts the alophanes. What they found is a major component in the blend is actually the, those non yeah. So we think th- they might be, or what we found, might be applicable to the to anovines un- un- as well.
1: That's awesome! Super exciting.
0: Yeah. Is so. Are you working on these ideas as well? Like, is there a follow up to those results that you or your lab are working on? And also, because you're a sixth year now, so what else are you working on now? And what are your plans after graduation?
2: Yeah. So first, on the follow-up of our study, what we focus on right now is the uh, behavior because what we saw is uh, this uh, neural response in the mosquito brain but we don't know why the mosquito really use this neural code So what we are trying to do right now is to test the behavior For example, we know this these two regions in the brain that are activated by mosquito brain What we can do is we can use a very simple blend, just two components If this simple blend is attractive like it evoke the host seeking behavior. That means the code might be used by the mosquito. So we are trying to do that right now. The preliminary results shows the simple blend is indeed attractive. So once mosquitoes smell the blend, the mosquito will show the very typical host seeking behavior. Another follow-up, not for me because I'm moving on to postdoc, but for maybe other future graduate students or postdoc is to try to find the receptor, the actually the gene of the protein that sinks the long aldehyde. If we can find the receptor, what we can do is we can probably try to knock out the receptor. If we knock out the receptor, maybe the mosquito don't like humans anymore. That would be ideal for us.
1: Yeah, it's super cool thinking about like how you can inhibit it or learn so much biology from that.
2: But my long term plan, because I'm, I plan to defend in July. So I'm going to do a postdoc, but I'm going to switch to a defense system. I'm going to study birds. Social behavior in birds, yeah.
1: Can I ask why the switch?
2: Because I've been always interested in birds. I feel they are very smart. Also, they are kind of understudied. They are just a lot of unknowns in the birds.
0: Crows are super smart. Uh huh. You should study crows as well. <laughs> <laughs>
1: All right, finishing in this out, uh, so I learned recently that there are a lot of efforts to control mosquito-driven diseases by use of genetically engineered mosquitoes. For example, I think they're trying to do this in Florida. So, wondering, do you envision your work being applied in a similar context?
2: Yes. So the method, the commonly used method is called the gene drive method. So what they do is they trying to wipe out the, the mosquito population by releasing those like the transgenic mosquitoes. But one major hurdle in that direction is like because of evolution. So the system will cease to work after some time. So for us, one, one idea is maybe we don't want to wipe out the population. We just don't want the mosquitoes bite us. They can bite the animals, but it's okay. Yeah. So if we can engineer the mosquito to not like humans, then it would be great.
0: I think that's about it for what we wanted to know. It was super, super nice talking to you. That's very exciting. I was very amazed to learn that we have graduate students being served as sacrifice <laughs> in, in <laughs> Princeton. But that's that's really cool. Thank you so much for talking to us. Thank you for
2: having me.
1: Yeah, of course. Super fun. Thanks for coming.
0: This episode of The Highlights was written by Thiago Tarraf Varela and Olivia Duddy. It was produced by Isabel Driggers under the 145 Managing Board of the Daily Princetonian. For more podcasts and other digital media from the Prince, visit www.dailyprincetonian.com. Many thanks to Gilei Zhao for speaking with us. To read more about Gilei's work, check out the Princeton Insights article covering his research, which can be found in the description of this episode. Thank you for listening, and until next time...